Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be continuing our conversation about immigration law. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is June the 15th, and on this day in 1215, following a revolt by the English nobility against his rule, King John put his royal seal on the Magna Carta, or the Great Charter. The document essentially... uh, created a peace between John and his barons, guaranteeing that uh, the king would respect feudal rights and privileges, uphold the freedom of the church, and maintain the nation's laws. Although more a reactionary than a progressive document in its day, Magna Carta was seen as a cornerstone in the development of democratic England by later generations. John was enthroned as king of England following the death of his brother, King Richard the Lionhearted. In 1199, King John's reign was characterized by failure, He lost the Duchy of Normandy to the French king and taxed the English nobility heavily to pay for his foreign misadventures. He quarreled with the Pope Innocent III and sold church offices to build up the depleted royal coffers. Following the defeat of the campaign to regain Normandy in 1214, Stephen Langdon, the Archbishop of Canterbury, called on the disgruntled barons to demand a charter of liberties from the king. In 1215, the barons rose up in rebellion against the king's abuse of feudal law and custom. John, faced with a superior force, had no choice but to give in to their demands. Earlier kings of England had granted concessions to their feudal barons, but these charters were vaguely worded and issued voluntarily. The document drawn up for John in June 1215, however, forced the king to make specific guarantees of the rights and privileges of his barons and the freedom of the church. On June the 15th, 1215, John met the barons at Runnymede on Thames and set his seal to the Articles of the Barons, which, after minor revisions, was formally issued as Magna Carta. The charter consisted of a preamble and 63 clauses that dealt mainly with feudal concerns that had little impact outside 13th century England. However, the document was remarkable in that it implied that there were laws the king was bound to observe, thus precluded any future claim of absolutism by the king or the English monarch. Of greatest interest to later generations was Clause 39, which stated that no free man should be arrested or imprisoned or diseased or dispossessed or outlawed or exiled in any way or victimized except by the lawful judgment of his peers or by the law of the land. The clause has been celebrated as the early guarantee of trial by jury and of habeas corpus and inspired England's petition of rights in 1628 and the Habeas Corpus Act of 1679. In immediate terms, Magna Carta was a failure. Civil war broke out in the same year, and John ignored his obligations under the Charter. Upon his death in 1216, however, Magna Carta was reissued with some changes by his son, King Henry III, and then reissued again in 1217. That year, the rebellious barons were defeated by the king's forces. In 1225, Henry III voluntarily reissued Magna Carta a third time, and it formally entered the English Statue of Law. 
Magna Carta has uh, been subject to a great deal of historical exaggeration. It did not, for example, establish Parliament of some nor more vaguely allude to the liberal democratic ideals of later centuries. However, as a symbol of the sovereignty of the rule of law, it was fundamental importance to the constitutional development of England. Four original copies of the Magna Carta, 1216, exist today, one in the Lincoln Cathedral, one in Salisbury Cathedral, and two in the British Museum. The Magna Carta on this day in 1215. Well, we have a $5 gas we have the stock market has lost $11 trillion this year. Only one in five Americans think the economy is headed in the right direction. Inflation has hit a 40-year high at 8.6%, and the national debt has risen by roughly $3 trillion. And yet the Democrat on the House Budget Committee will actually hold a hearing today entitled, now get this, How the American Rescue Plan Saved Lives and the U.S. Economy. I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's really happening. Now we're told that Democrats' next hearing will be on how the Titanic's maiden voyage was actually a great success. <clears throat> These people are delusional. President Joe Biden called it a day on Tuesday after returning to the White House following a quick trip to Philadelphia. He delivered a 35-minute speech at the 29th Quadrennial uh, AFL-CIO convention at 11 a.m., trying to defend his economy and economic agenda despite growing dissatisfaction in the country with high gas prices and growing inflation. In his speech at times, it was uncomfortable to watch as his age and inability to even read a teleprompter convincingly showed through. At one point, Biden was visibly angry. He said, I don't want to hear any more of these lies about reckless spending. We're changing people's lives, he screamed. The only thing that Democrats are changing now is how much money the poor and middle class have in their bank accounts. Inflation and market crash are destroying people's economic freedom, and Biden wants to brag about helping people? That's the kind of unwillingness to admit when you're wrong. It just isn't infuriating. It's outright dangerous when talking about the economic stability of the nation. To address skyrocketing inflation, Biden threatened new rounds of tax hikes on consumers. I'm being deadly earnest, he said. <laughs> Biden said it's been a long time since wages it's been a long time since wages have gone up, but it's happening now. I'm not kidding. He said that it's not inflation. It's wiping out wage gains. I'm not going to uh, I'm going to keep fighting for you. Uh, are you prepared to fight with me? He asked the president uh, uh, made it back to the White House at 1130 p.m. Did not make any further stops until uh, during his trip. He didn't take any questions as he returned to the Oval Office. The White House called a lid for the president's public activities at 151 p.m. Uh, the lid typically informs reporters that the president will not appear again in public until the following day. It's unclear what the president had on his schedule for the remainder of the day, and it was not revealed to the press. Earlier in the afternoon, the White House sent out a proclamation from Biden declaring that June 15th would be World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. All of us have a role to play in preventing elder abuse and ensuring that our nation's seniors are able to age with dignity, he wrote. He began his week on Monday returning from his home in Delaware at 12.44 p.m. before signing a bill into the afternoon and uh, studied the creation of a national museum to honor the country's Asian-American heritage. Old Joe is tireless when it comes to building back better, isn't he? Can you imagine showing up at a little afternoon on Monday and uh, calling it a day a little before 2 o'clock, uh, putting the lead on it? My goodness. Well, the Democrat National Committee reportedly has to reschedule its Women's Leadership Forum fundraiser on May the 25th and 26th when Vice President Kamala Harris, for lack of ticket sales, the event was scheduled last minute for uh, the autumn 
when the event is traditionally held after the event couldn't sell enough tickets. Uh, when the inv invites were sent on May 5th, it was hyped as an incredible opportunity to mingle in person after two years of virtual events and meetings. Tickets ranged from $250 to $50,000, according to the report. DNC spokesperson Daniel Wessel is on record claiming Kamala Harris is a huge draw for events that did not give any reason why the event was rescheduled. Harris's polling numbers are abysmal, as are Joe's. Harris's polling numbers are worse than President Biden's. Only 28% approval of Harris, while 62% disapprove. In contrast, Biden is at 33% approval, with 56% disapproving. I still scratch my head wondering, who are these people that actually approve? It just doesn't make any sense. Well, let's take a look at a few of yesterday's uh, primaries. Uh, big result, Republican Maya Flores won Texas 34th Congressional District Special Election. The GOP candidate uh, Maya Flores won the 34th District Congressional Special Election over Democrat Dan Sanchez in the Associated Press projected Tuesday. Flores will replace former Democrat Representative Philemon Vila, who retired earlier this year. The Republican win in heavily Hispanic district comes ahead of what GOP expect to be very successful midterm elections. Now, this being in a very Hispanic district, I think, speaks volumes about now how Hispanics are looking at uh, the Republicans, the Democrats, and Joe Biden. In addition, Jim Marchant, who has been declared the winner in the Republican primary election for Nevada's Secretary of State, in November, Jim Marchant was uh, face Cisco Aguilar, who ran unopposed to pick up the Democrat nomination. Nevada's current Secretary of State was unable to seek re-election due to term limits. Marchant previously expressed support for overturning the result of the 2020 presidential election, echoing claims of widespread fraud by former President Donald Trump and others. He's also leading a number of Secretaries of State in, uh, in an effort to reclaim elections. Uh, this guy's a good guy. Jim Marchant, you should pay attention to his name, I believe. Also, Trump endorsed primary challengers and two incumbents in South Carolina had got mixed results. Trump's candidate, uh, Russell Fry, beat Representative Tom Rice, but Representative Nancy Mace won a primary against Trump-supported Katie Arrington. Boy, Katie Arrington put up a great fight. Just couldn't pull it out at the end, but uh, she was a long shot. Former uh, Nevada Attorney General Adam Laxalt is backed by Trump and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, but faces a late surge from opponent Sam Brown. Uh, Brown is an Army veteran. And then uh, Clark County Sheriff Joe Lombardo is considered the frontrunner in a crowded field running for GOP nomination for Nevada governor. The winner of the race will face Democrat Governor Steve Sisolak in November. There's other results, uh, however, they're pretty vague at this point, rather than uh, we'll just cover them at another time. But uh, things are looking good for Trump-backed nominees. Uh, he did uh, lose a couple of races, Arrington for being one. But uh, uh, I think he has tremendous influence over members of the Republican Party. Well, foreign investments in U.S. farmland have tripled in the past 10 years, reporters at a nonprofit investigative journalism group found. Investigate Midwest used U.S. Department of Agriculture data to call attention to this trend. Farmer Joe Maxwell, co-founder of the group uh, Farm Action, told the Center Square that control of U.S. farmland by foreign investors is worrisome on a number of fronts. The real question is, who are the people in the United States who want to be their farmer? Do they want Saudi Arabia, Canada, China, and other countries to be their farmer? Do they want Bayer 
or Cargill or other large corporations to be their farmer, Maxwell asked. The pandemic showed the reliance on multinational corporations for agricultural inputs is a failed system, Maxwell said. U.S. Uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa, said uh, has been trying to pass bipartisan Food Security and National Security Act in Congress for several years. On his website, uh, Grassley said deep-pocketed investors are making it hard for young farmers uh, to buy the land they need to get established. So Farm Action has been lobbying Congress to get states to monitor foreign investment. Uh, Bill Gates is actually buying up hundreds of thousands of acres. The Chinese are buying up hundreds of thousands of acres. This is a major uh, security risk, and I'm so happy that Maxwell and others are calling attention to this uh, issue. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. <laughs> it's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be fantastic, but also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now and find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now, we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is an author. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of a terrific organization, the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to defending private property, free markets, securing individual liberty, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. It's a big job, but <laughs> so grateful for what you're doing, Bob. So uh, what we've been talking about, immigration law and reform and uh, so forth, so for the last couple of weeks, and let's pick up with President Trump's travel ban. When he was first in office, he tried to impose a travel uh, ban. What were the issues? Two issues. Number one, did the travel ban violate the Establishment Clause of the Fifth Amendment? The Establishment Clause says the government's not supposed to be involved in establishing religion. Um, and the charge was that maybe this ban discriminated against Muslims. Second issue, did President Trump exceed his authority under the Immigration and Nationality Act, um, that act presumably, so the administration argued, authorized the imposition of the travel ban. So those were the issues that the uh, court had to, had to deal with, and th those issues are still important. So uh, remind us how the travel ban unfolded. Here's the chronology. A week after he took office, uh, Trump issued an executive order that temporarily banned travel from seven <clears throat> different countries. The, the critics said that the ban was anti-Muslim and wasn't justified by national security. Uh, a week later, a federal judge put the ban on hold. Then step two uh, Trump revised his executive order. He dropped Iraq and he stripped language that would have favored certain religious groups. And then the Supreme Court stepped in and said the ban could be enforced except on persons with what the court described as a bona fide relationship to the U.S. Um, then <laughs> step three, uh, version three, Trump canceled the executive order, and replaced it with a brand new one. North Korea and Venezuela were added. Sudan was deleted. And uh, interestingly, um, no citizen of any country on the list had carried out a fatal terrorist attack on American soil uh, over the prior 20 years. But Saudi Arabia was not on the list. And as we know, 15 of the 19 9-11 hijackers were from hmm. Saudi Arabia. So it was a little bit sketchy as to whether this was really justified as a matter of stopping terrorists. So where does the ban stand in the appellate courts and the Supreme Court at this point? Um, a few years ago, the court allowed the ban to take effect pending further review by the lower courts. And then the appellate court stepped in and said 
that the travel ban was insufficiently linked to national security and it exceeded Trump's statutory authority. Um, another appellate court also reviewed the ban and said that it did unconstitutionally discriminate against uh, Muslims. Um, the Supreme Court uh, stepped in and uh, in a case called Trump versus Hawaii, this is a very recent case, Chief Justice Roberts, who was joined by the four more conservative justices, held that Trump, the president, had broad discretion to suspend the entry of aliens from certain countries, especially if those countries didn't adequately screen uh, the applicants themselves. And the court went on to say that the Immigration and Nationality Act authorized Trump to deny entry if he felt that it would be detrimental for these folks to come in, detrimental to U.S. interests. Um, Now, as a matter of fact, Trump's executive order uh, did not reference religion, so it was a little hard to argue that it was discriminating against uh, Muslims. And the restricted countries had already been designated by Congress or by a prior administration as being national security risks. So Roberts concluded, I think correctly, that the court would not substitute its own judgment uh, for the president's judgment on those on those matters. So interesting. So is the travel ban necessary to protect us against terrorists? Well, <clears throat> quite aside from that legal argument that we just mentioned, uh, there is the question you raised. That is the policy question. Is the travel ban a good idea? Um, according to a, a Cato research paper, uh, the chance of being killed by a foreign-born terror, terrorist is pretty low, one in 3.6 million per year. That's about as a fifth as high as the risk of drowning in a bathtub. Um, and the chance of being killed in a terrorist attack by somebody who entered the U.S. illegally, bear in mind that the 9-11 terrorists were not illegally entered, uh, that risk is an astronomical one in 11 billion per year. Hmm. So I think, bear in mind that most of these terrorist-related deaths were from 9-11, and none of them were uh, illegal aliens. The State Department had this to say, uh, and this is a quote, there is no credible information that any member of a terrorist group has traveled through Mexico to ban access to the U.S., so that suggests that uh, that the imposition of a wall, which may be justified for other reasons, wouldn't do a whole lot to stop uh, terrorism. That's so interesting. I mean, the whole notion, though, of Occam's razor, wouldn't it make sense that if uh, terrorists wanted to come here, best way to do it would be cross the border in Mexico, where there is no, uh, uh, where it's quite easy to cross illegally. Yeah. So. Well, again, that's. <clears throat> that's what one would expect, but the evidence is that there haven't been very many of those. Of course, there may be some that we are not aware of. Right. So what about drugs crossing the border? Um, President Trump insisted that the southern border is a pipeline for uh, vast quantities of illegal drugs, but you know, DEA reports that um, most of these, uh, just a small percentage of these drugs uh, comes across um, at legal points of entry. 
The cartels hide their drugs in cars and trucks and buses, trains, uh, none of which would be affected by a, a wall. Um, and even if there were a problem, I think, and I've, we've argued at Cato for a long time, that drug re- legalization would be the most effective uh, remedy. And as a bonus, uh, we'd also be confronting gang-related gun violence in the U.S. as well as uh, some of the lawlessness that propels all of these asylum seekers that we're getting from uh, from Central America. You know, because the drugs are illegal, uh, participants in the drug trade can't go to court to settle their disputes. Uh, they resolve the disputes uh, by force on the streets of uh, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, yeah. and then they claim that they're fleeing violence to come here. Um well, and, and allow me to allow me to pile on, Bob. I'm sorry. Allow me to pile on, if I may. I mean, also the sure. we, we have a problem with uh, drugs that have been contaminated uh, with uh, fentanyl and uh, uh, those types of things. We, you know, if we had drugs drugs distributed legally here in the United States, they could also be checked for purity and to make sure that there's, uh, you know, <laughs> they're not going to kill our young people, which is what they're doing right now. Absolutely, and the DEA, in addition ties up thousands of agents and support staff. They could be fighting terrorism or other crime. The immigration system, as we know, is broken, maybe beyond repair. So the the war on drugs has been an unmitigated uh, disaster, and legalization should be a no-brainer. One of the best uh, outcomes from legalization would be this control on quality and maybe some uh, diminution of the opioid problem that we're having, with, especially with uh, with laced uh, uh, heroin and fentanyl. Yeah. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. I'm going to refer our listeners again to your website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. 
With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. Well, we had some elections last night, and uh, usually you start off with some good news. So uh, what are your thoughts? Well, there is some good news. Uh, over the last few years, the medical community uh, worldwide and the United States specifically has taken some bad raps, well, well-earned bad raps, I might suggest. Uh, but I think we have to keep in mind that the medical community still provides us with a remarkable uh, series of, of uh, steps forward in terms of our battle for, for life. Uh, the thing I'm citing specifically is there's a recent <clears throat> excuse me, uh, cancer trial using monoclonal uh, antibodies for rectal uh, tumors. Uh, everyone, uh, given the monoclonal antibodies, had uh, the tumor, tumors go into remission, every single person. Now, it's a small trial, but yeah. when everyone in a trial, uh, in fact, it, it shows market improvement, uh, that is a significant statement in the battle for rectal cancer. They're also hoping that this same approach can be used for for other variations of cancer. So um, I think that has to be seen as good news. And I I think we always have to remember the medical community, when it's not politicized, is an extremely valuable part of of, of the American body politic. Uh, well, th- thank you for that, Andy. And I, I'll point out also that, that this is a, a, appears to be a cure, not a treatment. Most of the things that we get are treatments, so we continue to take these drugs just to hold off the uh, impact and so forth. So uh, this is just a major breakthrough. It would be so important in terms of getting a, getting a control of uh, soft tissue cancer and, and, and other forms of cancer. Absolutely. So I, I think we have to give accolades where they're deserved and... Uh, you know, I think this community, the medical community, has to be supported uh, where it needs support. And this is one of those areas, Bob. Uh, I'd like to also mention this is a, a personal, a very good news in terms of, you know, everyone in your audience would probably identify with the fact that I'm a conservative. There's no doubt about that. I don't make any uh, pretenses. Uh, right now, I think Florida has ceased being what can even be vaguely called a purple state. There is almost no Democrat money flowing into Florida for the 2022 midterms. Now, that might change, and it might change before 2024. But at this point, it seems as if the Democrats have conceded that Florida is, in fact, a red state, Bob. That's very good news. It would be great to see uh, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, for example, she's being challenged by a, by a Republican uh, candidate to, to see her uh, situation overturned. Uh, because we've seen so many good results yesterday, for example, in the uh, primaries. Well, yeah, I mean, there were several uh, uh, in terms of the elections that were being uh, monitored for their importance. Uh, I think probably the most important one is uh, 
Congressman Rice was beaten by Fry in South Carolina. Now, Rice was a, a vehement and unrepentant, if I might, uh, uh, anti-Trumper. I think he paid a significant price. It was an overwhelming plurality vote for Fry. Uh, obviously, that does demonstrate that his positions on the impeachment of Trump and other issues about Trump uh, certainly was uh, was rejected by the voters. Now, Trump had also supported um, uh, Mace, uh, had not supported Mace, by the way, in South Carolina. She did win uh, against Arrington, right. uh, but Trump had also predicted her victory in uh, November of last year. So uh, certainly he was not optimistic about that. And Mace was repentant, if I might use that phrase again. Uh, she had uh, offered m- many times her, her support of the president from the beginning. Uh, and in fact, so I think the voters uh, took that into account and uh, and uh, and elected or uh, successfully put Mace through the primaries. In terms of one more, I'd li- well, two more, actually, I'd like to mention uh, Laxalt, a Trump-supported uh, Senate candidate in Nevada, right. uh, won the primary in Nevada. I think that was an important uh, Trump-supported candidacy. And um, uh, perhaps the most important election tonight is Myra Flores wins a special election uh, in the Texas border district uh, where where she was running in a uh, in a runoff uh, special election. Uh, that was a district that was won by by Biden uh, in uh, in 2020 by about four or five percentage points. Uh, and she won that district easily uh, in, uh, in last night's special election. I think that indicates a uh, what's going to happen um, perhaps across the United States in terms of the Hispanic vote, Bob. I agree. I, that was just a tremendous victory. I think it's going to be the canary in the coal mine when it comes to Hispanic vote going forward. And, of course, the polls are showing right now the Hispanics are turning towards the Republican Party, uh, primarily because they see uh, the Republican Party providing the types of laws and policies that they want uh, instituted. They came here for freedom and for opportunity, not to be on a, in a welfare situation. Well, I totally agree uh, with with what you just uh, offered, Bob. And uh, again, I my my major issue, and I, I think it's it remains a major issue in my mind, is the legality of the elections in in 2022. Well, not so much 2022, but 2022 also, but mostly 2024. Uh, I think there's been not enough done in terms of uh, ensuring the legality. I think there's been some steps forward, but but certainly not enough uh, nationwide to to ensure a, a legal election. Uh, as the ease of election becomes more important than the legality, uh, I think you're going to have a, a a real issue as we go forward into these elections uh, going forward. I, I certainly hope the re- Republicans can per, uh, challenge these uh, these procedures, the, the mail-in ballots, the drop boxes, and so forth, Bob. Uh, I think legality is my major concern. With legality in place, I think there'll be an overwhelming uh, red landslide in 2022, and I think certainly a Republican presidency in 2024. Well, thank you for those thoughts, Andy. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the uh, gun law proposal and what's happening uh, in terms of uh, uh, reducing or elevating the uh, the attempt to elevate uh, the, the reduction of the types of things that we saw in Uvalde. Uh, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right. You're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. We're visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. Before we get into red flag laws, I wanted to get any comments you may have about what's happening in Ukraine. Well, I'm going to build uh, my comments for today around uh, the recent comments by uh, from Pope Francis. Uh, uh, again, I have not certainly been a supporter of, of Pope Francis in general. Uh, I have been a strong advocate for the for the Catholic Church, even though I am not Catholic. Uh, but Pope Francis recently said that uh, he sees uh, he laments the the cruelty of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but he also adds the the fact that it. Uh, by all measurements, it seems to have been provoked by the West. Now, uh, that isn't, he says he has no uh, no need to um, somehow uh, write off the cruelty uh, exercised by Putin in, in Ukraine, but he also says the West has to explore uh, its own its own process, its own motivations, uh, as they seem to have uh, intentionally provoked the uh, the actions of, uh, of Russia as it pertains to Ukraine. Uh, Francis also alludes to the fact that uh, he believes that Putin thought this would be a very short war. So uh, I think by saying that, he's trying to uh, diminish the the actual ongoing uh, 
devastations uh, by suggesting that Putin presumed it would be very short and that would be uh, the devastation would be extremely limited. Uh, I think those are, are far more astute comments than you're hearing from almost anyone in, uh, in the Western uh, political arenas and also from the Western Western media. Right now, Ukraine is calling for some dramatically increased levels of, of, uh, of, of what I would call it offensive military hardware. They're looking for uh, a thousand howitzers, 155 millimeter howitzers. They're looking for 500 tanks. Uh, so they're looking for a, a significantly enhanced, because they also, I think the other number I can remember is, is uh, 2,000 armored vehicles. So they're looking for, for this kind of, of enhanced weaponry. Of course, that's going to kill Russians. It will also result uh, indirectly in the death of, of Ukraine's, uh, Ukrainians. And I, I, I think at some point we, we have to, the world has to identify that there has to be uh, some variation of a, of a negotiated settlement. This, this process of death on death cannot go on in an unlimited fashion. And I think the West uh, has to be held accountable. I, I'm going to make a point that I certainly can't prove, but I, I believe if the West had supplied no weaponry to Ukraine, and I'm not saying, I'm not advocating that necessarily, but I suggest if they had not given any weaponry to Ukraine, this whole process in Ukraine would have ended a long, long time ago, sending, uh, saving thousands of lives and uh, an enormous amount of Ukrainian infrastructure. In my estimation, it would have produced very limited uh, negative impact on the Ukrainian people. It certainly would have had negative impact on the Ukrainian government, no doubt about that. Uh, but on the other hand, for the, if we're talking about the Ukrainian people and what's in their best interest, resolving this and, and settling this process as quickly as possible seems to be the most moral and appropriate thing to do at this point, Bob. You know, Andy, I agree with your conclusion on that 100%. Absolutely. One of the things that concerns me about this is, of course, uh, we've villainized uh, Putin, and he deserves to be Putin uh, villainized uh, because he's uh, he's broken all kinds of international laws. He's been an international criminal, in my opinion. But that doesn't make uh, that doesn't make Zelensky a good guy. In fact, he was corrupt, and the government was corrupt before all this happened. It doesn't said so that they all of a sudden clean up their act. I'm not sure that really happened. So I, it makes me wonder what's happening with the money, what's happening with the arms. I wonder how much of this is money laundering as opposed to uh, providing uh, benefits and uh, weapons to the Ukrainians. I think there's a lot of unanswered or uh, unanswered questions right now. Well, I, I think the one thing we can um, state with, without the fear of, of rebuttal is there is going to be a significant amount of corruption in, involved with the funds uh, flowing into Ukraine. We, we, we can't tell in advance the amount of that, of that corruption, but we know, just judging by the history uh, of the Zelensky government since he came into power, there is no doubt that that, that will happen. Uh, if I was to be asked a question, who speaks for the Ukrainian people? No one, Bob. No one right now speaks for the Ukrainian people. Certainly not Putin. Certainly, in my estimation, not Zelensky. And certainly, again, in my opinion, not the West, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's move to red flag laws. Uh, what are your thoughts with regard to the proposal, the uh, quote-unquote bipartisan agreement that's come, uh, that's going to be proposed and uh, voted on? Well, I've got a lot of uh, contradictory views, I, I guess I would uh, position them as. First of all, the the concept of red flag laws is, is very appealing, you know, to identify those that would be a threat. And uh, by identifying that threat, then 
uh, through a judicial rendering, not a, or not a verdict, but a rendering, uh, remove the weaponry from that person's control for a short term or long term. That's very, very seductive in, in terms of its implication. But before before I get that, I, I want to cite some. Uh, some I don't know why this isn't uh, uh, ballyhooed more by the NRA and by the by the people who are the uh, in the in the pro gun group. Just as an example, Bob, there have been no mass murders committed by an NRA member. There are five million NRA members, and the NRA has been around for uh, for an extended period of time, and not one mass murder. A mass murder defined as three or more deaths at, in one situation. Not one has been committed by an NRA member. That should give uh, someone pause in terms of trying to understand why that has been the case or not been the case. Uh, also, another piece of information that uh, that seems to be uh, worth mentioning, uh, it is estimated that each year there are 1.2 million defensive actions using guns. And when those people are surveyed, one in six says a life would have been lost were it not for the existence of defensive guns. What that means, Bob, is that's two hundred thousand lives that might be saved each year by the availability of defensive weapons one one bob and i again i don't understand why uh, it is stated that uh, had the right to carry uh, provisions been adopted in totally in 1992 it is estimated that uh, 1500 murders 4000 rapes and 60000 aggravated assaults would have been avoided yearly. Now, these are all difficult numbers to prove and document. They're all estimations based on a, uh, on small samplings and so forth that extended to larger populations. On the other hand, if we're going to have a legitimate discussion of guns, then I think it has to include the incredible level of, uh, of uh, 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 violence that can be minimized by their existence and also look at in environments where people are well-trained and have a deep respect for guns, like in the NRA, there are no mass murderers that have emerged from. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I had someone who had a real impact on me was the now-retired sheriff of Lee County, and he said, you know, Bob, that they refer to us as first responders to criminal acts. We're not first responders. The first responders is the victim. First responders is the person, and the person who's armed, who's being victimized, has a better chance of responding and, and uh, getting out of the situation successfully than the person that isn't. I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, and these uh, that type of comment you're making, the ones I just made, go beyond opinion. These are uh, these are um, meaningful statistics that have been drawn from uh, from real events and then extended to larger populations. They, these are real numbers, and I I never understand why these type of of positive. Um, uh, Benefits of gun uh, availability uh, and carry availability uh, are not are, are not made more manifest by the NRA or anyone who supports the Second Amendment, Bob. Do you have problems with red flag laws? Yes, Do you have uh, any problems with red flag laws? I have a lot of problems with red flag laws. I mean, for example, if we were to change this from uh, from the right to bear arms into the free speech and uh, someone can go into a judge and says that your speech is uh, is uh, is radical and can cause problems and, and the judge could illegally suppress your ability to speak. Or if someone went in and said that your uh, your practice of your religion may, in fact, generate the possibility 
uh, of, a, of a criminal event taking place. Uh, if, if we were to take any of the other inalienable rights uh, and put it into the same model as being used for the red flag laws, we would obviously say, no, no, we can't do that. Right. It's inalienable. It can't be taken away. Uh, yet here we have the red flag laws. And again, as I said before, they're extremely seductive uh, because it does seem to offer uh, a cure in their estimation uh, to a problem. On the other hand, when you have a non-adjudicated process, and when I say non-adjudicated, that doesn't mean a judge will not be involved with rendering that, that decision where a person will be deprived of his guns for a, a short or long-term period. It does mean there is no legal proceeding per se that, that will accomplish that. Now, if we were to look at a, a totally fair and unbiased and, and judicially meaningful America, uh, I think then uh, extra weight would be given uh, to the to the value or purpose of red flag laws. But in this America, Bob, with the with people being thrown into uh, into solitary confinement for uh, for extended periods of times with no uh, no legal process, essentially, uh, that's the January 6th uh, people uh, or others, actually. Uh, I have serious reservations that this nation will be able to, in a fair manner, uh, handle this process. Uh, if they were to handle it fairly, I think they have to predetermine exactly what are the circumstances that will allow for the imposition or the invocation of a red flag law. Uh, I think there these are dangerous um, things to allow. I think they will lead. I'm a, this is a slippery slope argument. I think they'll lead eventually uh, to uh, to larger variations of gun confiscation. And no matter how we slice it, Bob, this is gun confiscation. Yeah. Return to my opening comment. It is seductive to to identify and take the weaponry away from someone who might be a threat. But again, it has to be done in a uh, in a much more tightly controlled and, and deeply adjudicated legal process. Now, I, I couldn't agree more, Andy. Right now, you've got uh, uh, the president of the United States uh, referring to and the Justice Department referring to the Trump supporters as domestic extremists. But, you know, who are they going to target first? Of course, it's, <laughs> you know, it's obvious who they're going to disarm first would be uh, Trump supporters. So uh, you make great points. Andy, I have uh, so much more I want to talk to you about. Can you stick around? I'll be here. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Loup Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Loup Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Loup Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josepha Savaz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So the whole topic of education has come up, and it's uh, been a major topic in terms of uh, what's happening here in Florida and around the United States. So I wonder if you had any comments. Well, I have a few more comments about Red Flag. Well, let's get to those next week. I, I, don't want to hit the, uh, I I've always had an ongoing concern with the, uh, the public school educational process. Uh, back in 1991 through 95, I was the leading um, uh, challenger to the public school system in Westchester County. And I, I don't say that uh, to brag about it. It was just true. I, I started two education reform groups. Uh, both were written up in the New York Times. I, I had essential themes about education then. Uh, one of them was uh, the question, how much does it cost to educate a child? And the, the system's answer is more than we're spending now. The, and to the question of when will education improve? The answer was always sometime in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I always had these type of, of basic statements that that surrounded education. Um, I was trying to get it to improve. I was uh, advocating for the elimination of the teachers union. I, I still uh, strongly uh, advocate for that. Uh, I think that to get the union out of the way would be a, a, a major step forward in controlling this process in a, in a positive way. Um, it, my immediate uh, involvement, again, at this point, was provoked by the, the, the Fox Nation series with Pete Hedgespeth, uh, the miseducation uh, series on, on Fox Nation. It's an excellent series if anybody uh, wants to pick it up on, on Fox Nation. Uh, also, their book, the, the Battle for the American Mind, also uh, an excellent, an excellent work, all, all trying to uh, figure a method by which we can uh, restore the quality of, of American education. Now, in the, the battle for the American mind, they use what is called a classical Christian education. Now, this doesn't mean it's going to be a religiously loaded education system. When they use the phrase uh, CCE or classical Christian education system, the Greeks, the Romans, the Egyptians, um, and the great thinkers, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. Uh, so it's a very comprehensive uh, type of education. Uh, it doesn't de-emphasize vocational training, but it says vocational training cannot be the primary purpose of, of education. 
the primary purpose of our public school education should be to produce a fully educated, comprehensively educated individual with a complete understanding of history and its implications, with an understanding of the relationship uh, of all things. Uh, so I think that if we can return to that model, and that is pretty much the model I was educated in in the 50s, and uh, I think that is disintegrated, obviously, uh, since that period of time, that's a long time ago, 65, 70 years ago. Uh, on the other hand, uh, if I was to make my most comprehensive statement of education, I, I will state no matter how elections turn out, no matter how issues are resolved, Bob, if the edu public school educational system is not reformed, or in fact, alternative methods, a, a much larger charter school system, for example, if those things do not take place, then America will be lost in the uh, in the long run. The education system is the major determinant of America's future, Bob. Uh, there's no question about it, Andy. In fact, uh, when you when you made your statement and defined what the outcome should be for classical education in America, I, I was scratching my head thinking to myself, I wonder how many Americans, currently Americans, who are out of school, who had a public education, could actually meet that standard. I, I think very few. I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an old man, relatively speaking. But I sit here almost every day taking courses, great courses uh, online. So uh, I, I think the education process has to go on and on and on. And I think we have to identify that uh, the more we I think Edward Wilson, Edward Wilson from Harvard had said to know anything, you have to know everything. Uh, in other words, and that's obviously a, a very dramatic statement. Uh, his basic point is the more we know, the more we can understand any specific issue. And right now, that is what's lacking. Everybody talks about issues in isolation. They don't put them into context, either either immediate or historical. Uh, and therefore, the, the answers that, that are uh, being derived by our younger people, and that's anybody in my estimation under 50, uh, is certainly tainted by that poor educational experience. No question. I, I want to underscore what you, the importance of what you just said. Fox Nation, if you're not a subscriber, definitely take a look at The Miseducation of America. Uh, Peaks Headset uh, is the uh, person who's produced this uh, uh, series. I think it's three or four episodes. But it's really quite well done and uh, shows the not only where we stand right now, but also the history of education in America and why we are where we are right now. I just really encourage everybody to do that because I think it will make you uh, very concerned about upcoming elections and what's happening in our public schools. And, and let me just reinforce something I've already said. Uh, the fact that they, they support uh, as almost their primary uh, way of understanding a quality education, the, uh, the, the classical Christian education system, this is not a, a bombardment with, uh, for students with, with Christian theology. That is not what it means. It means that there are particulars in that classical system. I mentioned it before. You've alluded to some uh, in which the person becomes fully educated and therefore fully able as best as possible to come up with accurate decisions based on their comprehensive awareness of, of as much information as they as they can hold up. Well, Andy, I really appreciate those comments. I really appreciate you coming on the show and enlightening us on the, some of these uh, most important topics. Uh, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. We'll talk soon, Bob. All right. Thank you, Andy. By the way, the name of the book that he wrote is uh, Josephus of Oz. If you haven't read it, it's quite, quite interesting. Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for tomorrow's show, including Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. 
Uh, Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples, will be joining us, as well as Seton Motley, the founder and publisher of uh, uh, Less Government, founder and president of Less Government, Seton Motley as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Uh, this is one of the ways that we can help our advertisers uh, get, a, uh, get some return on their investment. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show, and I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>